Mouthing Off is a theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Amanda Forstrom. I'm Kevin Couchman. And I'm Mari Sidner. Mouthing Off features compelling interviews and discussions with creators and artists from around the Twin Cities and beyond. Tune in for something different online where you get your podcasts at badmouthtc.com and on the air in St. Paul from Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. We hope you enjoy the show. We are back with another episode of Mouthing Off, a theater arts and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company here in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota, online at badmouthtc.com and on the old-timey radio 94.1 FM, Frogtown Radio. I am Kevin Kautzman, joined by the inimical, the incomparable, uh, Amanda Forstrom. Amanda, how are you? Oh, that was that's pretty good. I don't know how I mean, wow. Thank you. I'm feeling even better now. Um, thanks, right. Kevin. I'm super excited to be here. Hi, 94.1 FM Frogtown mm. and listeners of the podcast. We have an excellent guest today, and I'm super excited to dive into it. Uh, so I'd love to introduce Damon Runnels, uh, the creator of Minnesota Playlist. So he is the master, the man behind the the website where you can find all of the auditions, all the shows that are going on, and he'll tell us more about that. But Damon, how are you today? I am doing extremely well. The sun is out and it is beautiful and it is, uh, it's a wonderful day to talk to you both. So thank you, Amanda and Kevin, for uh, having me on. And hello, Frogtown. Uh, super happy to bring, uh, hopefully, my dulcet tones to your airwaves. Yes, the chocolatey tones, the dulcet tones. Uh, I'm looking at your uh, bio on Minnesota, Minnesota Playlist. How is that? That's accurate? I assume it's accurate. Should I? Probably. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I don't remember the last time I checked it. I will. Uh, I will just do a modest correction on my introduction. I did not create Playlist. Uh, I actually ah. purchased Playlist in 2017 from uh, Alan Burks and Leah Cooper, who are the original masterminds, uh, the, the people behind the curtain, so to speak, uh, who started it all up. Um, so I have uh, all best things go to them. And, and I, am, I am just trying to be a good steward and shepherd of this pretty incredible thing that they built. Uh, so, but thank you for, I'll take the credit on this. Hey, it's, listen. It's, all right. The man <laughs> carrying yeah. the torch now is Dave. There we go. And kudos to go. those guys. Thank you so much. Of course. Brilliant. Of course. Mm. So, well, and so yeah, my, for, mm-hmm. yeah, go on. My my bio, I believe, is relatively accurate. I just haven't checked it in a while. So <laughs> well, instead of just reading the bio, we'll we'll have a back and forth and people will get to know you that way. But why don't we begin for for those who aren't familiar with Minnesota Playlist? Minnesota Playlist Pillus. What's it about? What can people do there? Yeah. Sure. Uh, So Alan and Leah's vision uh, is that Minnesota Playlist is really the town common 
for the performing arts industry in Minnesota. Um, just happens to be instead of going to the grassy field in the center of town, you go to a digital website and uh, end up there. And uh, we've carried that tradition uh, since kind of uh, the very beginning uh, and really stayed true to it. The idea that um, you'd go to a town common to kind of hear what's going on. So that's our, our magazine and our news portion, kind of know what's, what's happening in the performing arts world in Minnesota. Uh, you go there to maybe... Uh, sell some goods, sell some wares, or buy some things. And that's our classifieds area where you can post anything from an audition that you're hosting to classes that you'd like people to sign up for, or even post, hey, maybe you've got some scenery or props or lighting gear you'd like to get rid of. And so you'd like to kind of sell it through uh, that space. Um, it's also a location to kind of network and talk to others and promote yourself. Uh, and that is our talent profile section, which allows performers, designers, directors, pretty much anyone working in live performing arts to uh, spin up a I like to call it a personal website without all the hassle. Uh, and you can kind of post yourself on that on our page and uh, use that unique URL to link in your email signature or through social media. But it becomes kind of your little, uh, your little space, your little vendor spot in that town square. And then finally, uh, we also have our online performing arts calendar, which again, if you're thinking that town square model, you're going to find out what's happening in the town that day, what's happening uh, throughout your neighbors and friends uh, who are working here. Uh, and this is where uh, companies uh, can post uh, productions, uh, shows, uh, and all of the events that they've got going on around those shows. And so all of this kind of comes together in one digital hub. Uh, and again, I, a great idea from Alan and Leah, and they worked really hard to build it. Uh, and I have, uh, I took over in 2017 and continued to kind of support the, uh, our performing arts community. I was actually kind of thinking about this the other day. Um, there's, there's been a lot of, there's a lot of digital platforms out there, right? I think we can say that the internet mm -hmm. has kind of exploded in the last decade with all kinds of digital platforms. Uh, and, and obviously many of them are there trying to, to, to make money, to, to stay afloat. Uh, one of the reasons I really love owning an operating playlist uh, is that it is a nonprofit mentality with a for-profit model. Uh, playlist runs on the money that is uh, that we earn through the sale of our digital services like talent profiles and classified ads. Those are all essentially purchased by the community doing work. Without theater, there is no playlist. Without things actually happening, there is no site. But we're not in a, we're not in the business model to try and gouge people to constantly be making profit. We're, we're here to support that community as much as possible. Uh, I have a background in some nonprofit uh, executive leadership. I've run a small nonprofit uh, with my wife before. And I love that Playlist has was kind of built on that principle of really creating value for the community and that it is tied kind of one-to-one -one with the success of the community itself. Yeah, and it's a very handsome website. I'm extremely judgmental of of websites, as I've been a web developer for a very long time. Uh, I built the website at badmouthtc.com, uh, artofdarkpod.com. I also run a business that does that. So I'm very uh, sort of, if I don't notice problems with the website from Jump, you, that's amazing. So yes, people should visit this as a resource, minnesotaplaylist.com 
And I, I suppose, Damon, what does your day-to-day look as the uh, owner-operator of this resource? Sure. Uh, I'm very fortunate that Playlist uh, is really, uh, it's very much self-sustained. Uh, so to your point of uh, you know the look, uh, we are actually launching a new site in April. So we will have All a right. brand new look and feel for the site. Um, at this point, Playlist was redesigned back in 2014-15. And Kevin, as a web developer, you know that uh, 2023, eight years later, pretty ancient, right? <laughs> so it's the, I, site's I'm, yeah, but that's, I'm still very impressed with it, it's, but I'm excited to they see did, what you, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. They did, they did a nice job. They did a, they mm-hmm. did a great, a great build on it. And, uh, I'm excited for the, for the new version. Much of the, um, much of the update is, uh, mandatory due to, uh, the architecture that it's built on is built on is kind of going, um, out of support. And so mm-hmm. uh, while you may not notice problems, there are mm-hmm. definitely some backend issues that I've run into uh, quite a bit. Now I am not a web, web programmer by trade. And so my uh, my focus is on running the business side. Uh, so I deal a lot, my day-to-day with Playlist is a lot of really customer service, like with folks like you. So whether it's a company that's having trouble getting something put up on the site, whether it's someone having a payment issue with you know buying a talent profile or maybe renewing a classified or something. Um, and then really really thinking about kind of the strategy and vision and long-term what Playlist wants to be and how it can serve the community. Um, the nice thing is that the site, for all intents and purposes, is kind of community run. Uh, it really mm-hmm. is. Uh, it was, you know, there was a lot of work that went into, I think, getting performers and companies to understand how to post things and then just kind of letting them do that and letting them propagate the site with all of this amazing content that is uh, happening uh, in the Twin Cities and greater Minnesota. Uh, and so again, I, I'm kind of there to make sure that it keeps working to answer questions when needed. And in the case of you know a new site launch, try to <laughs> try to drum up some excitement and, and, and take it forward. Uh, but it is definitely not uh, a full-time job. Uh, I work a regular retail job. uh, And so Playlist is as much, I would say, kind of a passion project for me as it is um, as it is employment. And I think that's a great a great place to live with that site uh, because it's it's really it 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 keeps it keeps me in that good headspace of how how would I as a producer, director, performer, how how would I want it to work and what do I want to see in it? And that and that. I think that keeps uh, keeps in place where it's providing value for the community. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say, as somebody who moved back to my home state of Minnesota after spending about eight to nine years on the East Coast, um, you know, they have a whole bunch of resources out there and they're primarily for those cities because you can travel there within, you know, an hour, two hours, you know, between Boston, New York, Philly, Baltimore, uh, D.C., uh, but for Minneapolis, it's a very unique market. And so when I came here and I was asking people, how do I get plugged into this market? How do I understand and find what's going on? How do I meet people? How do I post my own stuff? How do I get my work out there, my headshot, my resume? Um, if you are an actor in that position or director or artist or creator, please visit minnesotaplaylist.com because it's super easy to use. And everybody that I talked to, like that was their go-to, their first recommendation. So uh, kudos to you, Damon. And uh, it was extremely helpful for me, you know, to start getting plugged in for Bad Mouth Theater Company and uh, to audition for shows. I booked a show off of an audition that I saw on playlist.com. So, hey, 
Yeah. There we go. Success stories. And Damon, you have your own theater company as well. Yes. So uh, my wife and I, uh, Meg DeShorio, moved here in 2003, uh, sight unseen from the East Coast. We're actually New York and Massachusetts bred uh, individuals. Uh, and we we took a leap of faith, rented our apartment through facts, had never seen it. Uh, Whoa. We said we, yeah. <laughs> it was, I'm, I'm it was queuing quite... up the, the Mary Tyler Moore uh <laughs> Uh, opening, right? You drive it out, yeah. you're going, you go to the other big city, the big city on the edge of the go, frontier. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We knew nothing about Minnesota. We, we visited uh, for a week prior to our final year of doing some summer wow. stock up in Maine. And we talked to people and they were like, yeah, Minnesota's got a ton of theater and you could like have a day job and make a living. You, you should totally move here. And we're like, all right, sounds great. <laughs> so <laughs> we packed up everything we moved out on a lark. We said we'd give it a year. That'll be 20 years this October. All right. <laughs> oh one of us. One yes. of us. Oh, yeah. One of yeah. us. And put, yeah. and put down some roots. But we both, um, one of the one of the big drivers and, and the real passion that we we had was we, we both had uh, uh, degrees in theater from a very tiny liberal arts college in upstate New York, with which years later, we would actually realize the value of this. At the time, we didn't really understand. But um their their program was really designed around producing like it 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 really got you touching all points of a production and over four years uh, both meg and i probably worked on and put up over 20 something shows um in all capacities not just Mm -hmm. acting but directing designing stage managing so that gave us a real language to be able to speak across all of the different areas of theater and it just naturally made sense that when we moved out we're like well let's start a company. Let's try putting up some things. And so we produce, we put together Swan Dive Theater. Uh, we've run for, we ran for about 15 years. I would say that we are at this point on a bit of a hiatus. Um, having children will do that. Uh, we have uh-huh. a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. Uh, and so it, our, uh, our final performance in 2019, uh, the, uh, the Canopic Jar of My Sins by Justin Maxwell, we produced it over at the new crane space. Um, uh, we, we were very lucky to get an MRAC grant and uh, we, we put in the budget line. We spent over $850 on babysitters uh, to produce that because both Meg and I co-direct and it just meant being in a space and not being with our kids and it was stressful. And so we sort of, and then 2020 happens. And so we were like, wow, well, maybe the universe is basically saying, hey, put a pin in that for, <laughs> for a moment, uh, take your time uh, and, and come back to it. Um, and, and it, it was, it was, it was a trip producing for 15 years was incredibly amazing. I met, you know, I've met all kinds of people across the community. Um, we've produced, uh, a lot of really interesting work. Um, I would say that one of Swan Dive's focuses was, uh, and still is, uh, a lot, uh, about a show a year, um, with a really long design process. Both of us have a real passion for theater design. Uh, our production of an Autopia for Pigeons back in 2013 was featured in American Theater Magazine for uh, the set design that uh, Ursula Bowden and um, Sean McArdle worked on uh, and was just a, a, an incredible piece to uh, to be a part of. So uh, that's that's been a lot of, of what we've done. And, and I do believe that going forward, we'll come back to it. Although what we will probably come back to is uh, one of a project we had spun up in 2015, 16, I think, which we called the Living Room Tour, uh, where we take one or two performers and kind of copying from what Jeremy Messersmith in the music industry was doing about a decade ago of touring living rooms with a, uh-huh. a musical performance. Yeah. 
um, we would take a show uh, and uh, with just, we just ask people to provide a couch. We bring in a little audio and we do a show in their living room uh, and they could bring as many or as few people as they like to that and kind of host a private performance in their space. And we started off by using it as a kind of fundraising vehicle with an ask afterwards uh, and found that like, regardless of whether we asked for money or not, we just really liked doing it. It was a very different way to bring theater to people. It was extremely intimate in a way that we'd never really experienced before, because sure enough, when the play starts, there's no lights going down. Like you're, you know, you're, you're 10 feet away from the actor sitting in broad daylight, watching them perform. And so there's just something very raw about it. That was uh, really interesting to us. I suspect when we kind of get back to producing more, once the girls are older, that's, I think that's where we're going to land for a while is, is really digging into that kind of work and that kind of feeling. Uh, it is just, and it's just a, you know, a lot less time and, and resource intensive. And I think coming out of the pandemic, uh, a lot of artists are looking for that. They're looking for something that is not going to really tax them as much as I think maybe they were used to being taxed prior to the big breather, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big you said- breather. Yeah, you said two things that were really interesting that we've talked about with other uh, theater makers and creators on the podcast. And one of them is taking that breather and kind of finding that balance of, of um, you know, life and, and you know, being a, f- a full person so that when you are doing your art, you're not completely burned out and you're just kind of there's no well to draw upon to create, you know, and that how important that is for artists of all kinds and all mediums to to be able to keep that well, you know, uh, replenished and full and and joyful and inspired, you know. And then the second thing is uh, the small liberal arts college. Um, I went to St. Ben's here in Minnesota and I found the exact same thing at first, you know, I went to grad school and then when I was working in the professional industry in New York and then DC and I always thinking, you know, was always thinking to myself, Oh goodness, I wish I had, you know, some taken some more singing lessons or some more dancing lessons, or I wish I would have started this, you know, earlier as a kid and, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda. But now as I'm getting older, I'm finding that, you know, the, the, not to knock on the BFA kids out there, but you know, they, (laughs) they are specifically trained in those things and don't know how to run a board, don't know how to program a show, can't, don't, don't, don't understand what to do about costumes and how to, you know, sew back on a button. And, you know, I'm realizing that the, these people from liberal arts colleges who's, you know, might not grew up with the arts, might not have grown up with the arts in the household and might not have seen a play till they were in high school or college like me, uh, are actually better equipped to create the infrastructure that supports those BFA kids. So, uh, you know, don't hate me out there, BFA kids. I love you. We need you. But, uh, I'm, I'm really finding that more and more, uh, in in the professional world and wanting to create our own uh, infrastructure and system and and way of creating. Yeah, Amanda, I completely agree. I think there's a I think there's an ultimate balance between specialists and generalists, right? Like you ultimately you sort of fall. I don't want to say fall. Some people they want to be a specialist. That's what they drive to. They want to be the best at that one very particular avenue. Uh, and others like myself, I'm super curious about a lot of things. I'm just I get bored easily. And so I want to go touch something else or try something else. And I ended up very much in a generalist lo- like spot. And that that 
permitted me the ability to see across a lot of different avenues, to be able to connect those pieces, to be able to think about what those individuals are thinking. But at the end of the day, I definitely could not design or execute the set, the props, the costumes of some of these specialists that we work with, nor mm -hmm. could I get on stage and perform at the level of many of the specialist performers who I've worked at. But I can get those people to come together and create a show. And, and, yes. and we, we do, we ultimately need both. It's just interesting to me because I do think the industry drives people to specialization. It, it, mm. it and probably I, if I had to argue it, I, I think it probably rewards specialization more than it rewards general, um, to be a generalist is to, is to constantly be, you know, in a lot of ways, learning things you probably don't necessarily want to learn. Like I don't like grant writing, got to learn it. If you want to fund your theater company, you got to learn how to grant write if you're a nonprofit. I don't want to do fundraising, but you got to learn it. Uh, I, you know, I didn't want to learn like how to file my 990s, like <laughs> do books. Like that's not, that's not something that brings me passion. But at the end of the day, if I want to pay people well, and that is a value of mine, something I want to ensure happens, I've got to know how to do that. And I've got to be able to show that I can do it. And I've got to be like competent in doing it. I mean, the number of companies we can talk about who places that are run that aren't competent with money <laughs> just in this city alone uh, could be an entire podcast in itself. But I, yeah. I, I completely agree that I think the generalist thing is people where people sometimes land when they haven't been forced to pick a specialist. And then they all of a sudden go, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of value in being in this lane, which is really cool. Yeah. And this is the sustainability of a company relies on the generals to be able to see that big picture and to, like you said, connect all of these people, bring them together in the same room and say, here we are. I might not know how to do all of your jobs, but let's make something together and, you know, have somebody kind of conducting the train and looking at the map is super important. You know, yeah. what word, word we need to bring back is impresario. <laughs> that that is a <laughs> word. Some people mm -hmm. will still use it, you know. It has yes. a nice, mm -hmm. it has a nice old timey feel. I like it. it. Does. You're you're for the old timey radio for the old timey radio ninety four point one FM. Yeah, go on. Mm -hmm. Impresarios, or it's the same concept as the you know the not to, the Renaissance man. We can now say the Renaissance person, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who is knowledgeable across a wide sphere of uh, of of knowledge bases and and kind of bring that together to create something new. And and that's in a lot of ways I think that's what a lot of that's what producers are. Like they're mm -hmm. like you're looking at a, He's a producer, a, folks. A, a, he's a producer, right? Exactly. You're looking <laughs> at a, a lot of things and going where where do we need to point everybody for this moment in time and how can I bring in the right people into the room in order to to capture this and then reflect it back on you know, the general populace. Uh, that's, it's, it's a, and when it works, it's an amazing feeling. It's really great. I just think it's a, it, I think it's exceptionally more complicated than people understand. I, yeah. I really do. I think it's, I think it's very hard. And a lot of the learning is through trial and error. It's not through studying. It's not through a class. It's not through, uh, you know, academic rigor or training. There's no one out there. I, I don't, we don't have any classified ads for impresario training at this time. Now, if you have an impresario class and you'd like to post it at minnesotaplaylist.com, you can head over to the website, get yourself classified and start teaching us how to be better impresarios. That would be fantastic. Mm. Kevin, I think we've got a new business model right here. I dig it. Yeah. You need a whole section on the new website. And I take back what I said about the website. It needs an overhaul. 
you need you're <laughs> ready to go april ready to Amanda, go you, we're gonna, yeah renaming rebranding okay yeah. It's, yeah okay all right what's up amanda no i was just gonna say as somebody who you know can see that big picture damon what do you what have you noticed about the minneapolis uh arts and culture shift you know with covid after covid and where do you see it going where do you want it to go um yeah lots to unpack there sorry that's no no i i think that's great so i'm gonna i'm gonna put a little caveat on that if that's okay um so a, a couple caveats one I, I will definitely admit my uh, i'm living vicariously in the theater world through minnesota playlist with two kids and like i'm not out in the community in the way a lot of other people are however uh, i do i do interface with a lot of the community uh, and i see a lot through the website and stuff so um so i'll i'll answer a second the second the second caveat is i i just want to be very clear i am a cis white male and we've run this or we've run this business for time immemorial. And so what I, you know, what I want is really irrelevant in a lot of ways. Like, I just want to see a lot of art happen. Like at the end of the day, I want to see a lot of art. And I really, really want to see people who don't get the opportunity or haven't had the opportunity to have that opportunity. So from that perspective, like we talked about COVID, I, you know, I mentioned as like the big breather or the pause or, you know, whatever you want to call it for, for artists. And, and, uh, and to be fair, I also want to say that if you had to go through COVID and you didn't have a job and you were struggling, I feel for you completely. Like this was not a luxury for everyone. For some people it was, for some people it was like a big old vacation. Like they got covered by their day job and they got to just, you know, like bake bread. I remember hearing a lot, a lot of people baking bread, uh, but for others, it was, it was a nightmare. So, and I think there's a, you know, I want to recognize that, that not everyone, not, this wasn't a, the best for everyone. I do think on a whole, mentally and emotionally, it did give, as you mentioned, Amanda, people pause to consider where was I, where am I now, and where do I want to be when life starts back up because mm -hmm. it inevitably will, mm -hmm. right? Like that we knew it was going to come. And from what I've heard and from people I've talked to and, and you know, uh, th this interfacing with, with the community where I can it, it has been, uh, the word that keeps coming, coming up in one way or another is the word intentional and intentionality and a sense that, uh, whatever your break looked like, it was, it was a, it was an opportunity to reflect and to decide very intentionally how much and what you will be a part of and participate and build in the future, instead of feeling like that choice has been uh, made for you by the the social contract of hustle, constantly be out audition, pounding the pavement, like these terms that, for all intents and purposes, are just I, I think are really damaging long term to artists, as you said, like you you can only, you can only draw from your well so much before it goes dry. And then you, you don't have a well. And if you don't have that, well, you are not making art anymore. Uh, and that's, that's what we start out to do is, is, is to actually make art, not just to get a paycheck acting. Right. I don't think anyone goes like, I'm going to go spend a lot of money 
almost slipped there. I'm going to spend a lot of money on schooling to act so that I can get a really big acting paycheck. No, I mean, nobody does that. Like that's right. not, that's not the intent of why, why people go study. Um, so I, I think that intentionality uh, is actually like, is still being, is really being developed right now. I think there's a lot of organizations. I think there's a lot of individuals. I think it's a lot of individuals coming together as collectives to think about and talk about and make a, a different way of doing things. Uh, and I really don't know what that is. I have my own personal thoughts about what I think should change. Um, I think at the top of that list is uh, the way that we fund and the way that we support art in this uh in this city and in this, the Twin Cities and in the state as a whole. Uh, I think that we've, uh, I used to run the Southern Theater. I was the executive director for about eight years, uh, six, eight years, roughly. And uh, the, the bureaucracy to support art making and the, the, the follow-up necessary justification for why it matters and the rigmarole around that to me yeah. seems def- it seems very it seems like it, that's how you kill art in my opinion. Mm. Um, Springboard for the Arts uh, just finished up and is going into their second phase of a pilot program for guaranteed income for artists. Uh, at, extremely successful, uh, and um, I had a chance to chat with Laura Zabel um, in an interview that will be uh, I'm looking forward to publishing on the new site when it comes out. And she talked at one of the biggest things she mentioned is it actually works to give unrestricted money to people. Yeah. Like if you just give people money to do something, they will, sometimes they will pay their rent, which will free them up to do work. Sometimes they will buy supplies, which they will use to create art. Sometimes they will invest it in their community, which they will leverage to create community. Like, just make it available, right? Just yeah, support totally. the world you want to see with the funding. And so that that is, I, I would put that at the, you know, and again, it, I, I run a business. So these are the things that I'm thinking about a lot. It's like, I would put it at the absolute top of what I want to see different in the next decade coming out of COVID is like, let's do more of that. So if there's yeah. a funder listening, uh, you know, today on, on 94.1 or to this podcast, if there are, if you are in a position to make decisions about how money goes out the door to support arts, go to your form, go to your process, cut 90% of it and throw it in the trash, make it easier for people to access money, make it easier for artists to get funding. And lo and behold, you will find that the work is better, the artists are healthier, happier, and 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 your community thrives. Hundred percent direct support to artists, and this isn't uh, throwing shade on arts administrators. They they obviously serve a, a tremendous. Uh, you know, sort of they have a place in the ecosystem of of the arts. But America writ large has an administration problem. Administrative bloat across industries is something that people talk about now all the time at universities. It's outrageous. In healthcare, it's outrageous. And it's also, unfortunately, uh, the situation in the arts. It's you look at some of these submissions that are required, and it's absolutely, uh, frankly, insane. It's almost like the it's almost like dealing with the IRS. 
Uh, and and that's not that's not healthy or helpful um, to anybody. I've benefited from direct support from from two organizations. Uh, one, the Playwright Center, and I think they do a tremendous job, uh, and their their spirit is in the right place, and they give playwrights money, a lot of money. Uh, and as somebody who's benefited from that, you know, even even a thousand dollars a month, it gives you that. In this world, in this country, it just gives you that room to breathe, to go, okay, this time I'm setting aside for my plays is not wasted time or speculative time. And and the confidence that comes along with it, it's sort of like uh, a case of almost um, put your money where your mouth is. I know you're serious. Wow, you're really investing in me. I even hate all this language. We're in this sort of techno capitalist swamp right but we have to deal with it and you know you know it's serious when the money starts to change hands the other institution was the Michener Center for Writers at UT Austin which is the only MFA program in the country that gives a full living stipend you don't have to teach and you just get 3 years to write and the the work and the talent that comes out of there and I'm not trying to sound immodest um you know, but I mean, they've just produced Pulitzer nominated uh, novels. People have real careers. And even if you you aren't one of the darlings coming out of the program, you've had three years to write whatever it is you're writing, a play, a screenplay, multiple plays, uh, novels. And so that model, if you're wealthy, find a way to endow uh, a program like that, which keeps administrative bloat to a minimum and ensures that a certain percentage of the money goes directly to artists. Yeah, Amanda. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with both of you that, and if you are a funder out there, and if you're a, a smaller theater company, you know, I found that people are so much more willing to give, you know, on GoFundMe or, you know, any Kickstarter or any of the other, these other things. If you specify, hey, these are what I'm this is what I'm paying my actors. Here's the budget just for their paychecks, just for their time. And they're going to go, whoa, wow, that's a lot less than I thought it would be. Or if I was just giving, you know, five or $10,000 or whatever, you know, how much is it actually going to the artist? This is for the time directing. This is for uh, to rent a rehearsal space, to, you know, pay somebody to run the board and be, a, you know, a fantastic stage manager who organizes everything and all of their tasks, breaking down what where this money is going uh, for the funders and for the companies are is just so helpful. And just cutting out that middleman of, like you were saying, Kevin, bloat. Because, you know, sometimes it's necessary, if, you know, with the larger organizations, they get so much, uh, so many submissions and things like requests. But, you know, I mean, I found the, you know, Kickstarter and things like that. And, uh, you know, social media is very helpful for that, is really breaking down where this money is going directly. And mm -hmm. people are yeah. much more inclined to give and saying, wow, that's, you know. Patreon does a tremendous yeah. job is for yeah, creators. Exactly. If, you, if you create something that people value, Patreon is a real um, kind of, yeah, great place to go. Well, Damon, I appreciate all of that insight into the, the art scene and and uh, COVID and where we are now. I love the living room concept. That's 100% my kind of theater. Some of the best oh, shows yeah. I've ever seen were in backyards. 
uh, we're, a, we're sort of, we love the kind of uh, poor theater, I guess I'll call it. I, and I don't say that as a pejorative. I love it. I, the, the story is all, I'm a playwright, so I'm, I'm biased. But I'm an actor. Uh, <laughs> I'm an actor. And, and I'm also biased because it's the best type of theater to perform. You're in a new space every time. The words are new every time. The audience, like you said, is right there in front of you. You can't mm -hmm. get away with anything. You can't get away with no. being the spear carrier number 10 on the stage, on the side of the stage, and nobody can kind of see you laughing or just kind of checking out for a second. No, there's none of that, you know, and I love it. It keeps you so present and so engaged. Mm -hmm. and, and the audience can absolutely tell that, too. You know, they're watching a story yeah. where every single moment is right there and so engaged and so full. Yeah, mm. completely. And that's, you know, kind of back to your uh, question, man, of like, where do I want to see things go? I think that actually would be the other, like, if I had a you know second kind of top tier uh, hope for the future is that we uh, that we shift back towards more of that, that more people get creative with where stories get told, how they get told in what quote venue they get told in. Uh, I think it's, I think I, I believe that with, and, and this kind of comes to the funding part, right? We're, we're not, we're certainly not funding performing arts infrastructure in the twin cities. I, I think you could agree that, um, you know, there's a, there's, uh, I'd have to go look at the numbers and, and it's been a while. Um, I was doing a lot of this research, obviously, when I was running the Southern as it was, you know, 1910, uh, very old performing arts space. If you've never been to the Southern theater before, beautiful space on the West beautiful. Bank in Minneapolis mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. to see, to see theater and definitely to see dance. A lot of dance came up and out of that venue uh, for many years, seventies, eighties, nineties. And then in the two thousands, when I was, uh, when I was part of it, but the, uh, there's a, I think, again, I, I come back to balance because I, I, I like to see a mix of stuff, right? So we certainly need an investment in performing arts infrastructure. There is a place for traditional, uh, what we describe as traditional stage performance, right? A house and a stage and people coming and a lobby and all of the, the trappings, what we think, what many people think of when they think of, quote, going to the theater. Uh, but we have, we have a, a plethora of uh, ways to, to, to produce work, right? And different ways to bring it to people or bring people to it, to create tiny little town squares, right? Of, of groups of people. Uh, and I, I hope that more organizations, uh, you know, kind of really pursue the creative avenues for bringing word and people to, uh, to an audience uh, and that you can do a lot with a little um, I recently just saw uh, Walking Shadow Theater perf uh, Company's performance of Feast over at Black Forest Inn in their catered in their like banquet space. Right cool. here's a show with with one woman, Isabel Nelson, uh, performed the show. So one woman show, uh, fantastic performer. If you've never seen Isabel perform, uh, just like literally find a way <laughs> to get and see. She's a, she's a phenomenal performer. Uh, and Isabel and I uh, work together. Um, she's uh, one of the co-founders of Transatlantic Love Affair. Uh, we had uh, some work when I was working at the Southern and also through Swan Dive, but uh, saw the show. Uh, and, you know, you're, you know, we, we happen to be able to get and get the dinner there. So we're eating food and there's, there's a, just a single musician playing guitar and then food is taken away and a door opens and a show is happening. And like, and there's 
not, there's a little bit of a light dim and like they turn the lights down a little and they, you know, they kind of focused your attention in one spot, but I could see all the way across to everyone else. Like there's still people picking up drinks. Like it's, you know, and love it. And here's one performer and there's a little bit of audio, but ultimately it's words and a person and people watching and some sounds. And, and it was amazing. It was beautiful. Uh, and here's a, you know, a, a kudos to, to walking shadow for again, a, a kind of a non-traditional space. Uh, but there's, I mean, there's a ton of companies doing that. Let's do that more. Right. And I, mm-hmm. uh, one thing I think, one thing I think people could, uh, it, this, this would be, this would be great for playlists. Like, um, you know, we could do, we could do some magazine pieces on companies that are using non-traditional spaces. So, um, that's definitely something like I'm looking at for, how does playlist contribute to this vision of where we go or this, you know, the, the community, um, the magazine portion, uh, which Alan Burks, who is a playwright was part of uh, workhouse collective out of the playwright center uh, for many years. Uh, and, uh, is a, is a writer, uh, uh beyond that, uh, he had a real passion for playlists, not just being like Amanda, some of those sites that you mentioned out in, on the coast, which are, I think, primarily focused on like connecting job and artist. right? They're, they're Correct. very driven for the, com- the commerce side of the performing arts mm-hmm. industry. And Alan really understood that part of what makes playlists unique is just the is the the writings of the community elevated through playlists so that others can hear these stories and we can share these stories with each other about like what is going on what's happening more than just news but really like how do you see the world that you're living in uh and i i I think we can, you know, that's that's my hope for playlists for the next year and a half, um, two years, as, as I look out and think, how do how do we continue to contribute besides the services that we already offer is to is to build that back up in a way that's that's talking about some of these types of things. Um, what are yeah. what is happening out there? Uh, yeah. And focusing on that. Brilliant. That's what we want our show to be for the community as well. And so we're so pleased to have you here. Uh, I don't know if anyone else is quite doing this right now in the Twin Cities. We we were just asked to do a do a radio pod. Uh, initially, this podcast was was simply for the theater company to release uh, recordings of the the plays that we do. Last year, we we started this company. We did a reading series at Waldman Brewery in St. Paul. Have you been to Waldman, Damon? I have, I've not yet. I've, I've heard of okay. it. I know of it. I have quite a few friends in the brewery industry, so okay. I need right to on. go there. Well, next, next Monday, and of course this will appear on the radio later, but next Monday we're reading my new play, The Animals. All the details are at badmouthtc.com. And we do these readings in a room called the Buffalo Room, which is upstairs. And there's a big buffalo head on the wall named Bismarck. Uh, and so we love that. It's great. We get a nice little turnout. Everybody eats some great bratwurst or whatever, whatever their, uh, sort of heart, uh, tells them to eat. And, uh, they're free great. to the public. Yeah. And these are free readings. You just have yeah. to, you know, drop, uh, some money at Waldman and support our great partners. So we're, we're not doing, we're not realizing full productions there, but I'm certainly, you know, moved to, to try to do something like that, where you partner with the space, you bring people through, everybody sits down, maybe you have a beer or two and you hear a reading of a new play. So we've got my new play in March, 
Mari Sittner, our co-founder, her new play in April. We're doing One Good Marriage, Sean Raycraft's great dark comedy over at Phoenix Theater in May. Uh, and you're certainly welcome, Damon, to uh, to attend. We would hope you would come. That would be great. Uh, and then finally, we're doing in June... My other podcast is called Art of Darkness, and we do biographical profiles of dead artists. And my co-host is flying into town, and we're going to do our first Art of Darkness live at Waldman, Fitzgerald Part 1, through to the point in his life where he wrote a great short story set in the Twin Cities, Winter Dreams. And then the theater company is going to do uh, a reading a theatrical reading of winter dreams. So I had to kind of give our little pitch, our little spiel about what we we've got going on. Uh, and, you know, certainly I hope you'll come out uh, to, to one or more of those things, Damon, I'm sure you're, you're a busy man with the, with the playlist, <laughs> but if uh, we can entice you out, that would be, that would be wonderful. Now I want to uh, pivot. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, that, uh, that is my commitment this year is to get out more. I think, uh, uh, you know, one of the fallouts from COVID is it was very easy to get isolated to myself and be like, I've got kids. I can't go anywhere. I can't find babysitters. So I'll just stay home. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, there's a, there's a real, uh, there's a real burning desire to get, to get out and see stuff as much as possible. So um, yes, I, 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 I'm You're hearing it on the radio oh, I'm no. to getting out to one of your readings. <laughs> you so, heard it. Now, awesome. You heard it. Now, now you have to hold me accountable. Okay. Uh, well, and, all and right. There's a frog town. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Very good. Uh, otherwise, you get blacklisted at Waldman. We'll put your name down. <laughs> no brats for you. Uh, no brats for the, you. No brats for you. And and really enjoying this conversation. It's really nice uh, to to connect with somebody who you're not you're not getting rich doing Minnesota playlist. This is a, this is a work of of passion, but absolutely essential. Uh, this is the kind of website where if this went away, the the cry would echo for years. Somebody would immediately try to fill the gap. It would take years to rebuild. So I uh, laud you for your for your commitment uh, to the theater and performing arts community in the Twin Cities. The The Southern is an amazing space. Like you mentioned, I saw some fabulous dance and some, mm -hmm. uh, I think, principally dance um, there. Uh, but we're kind of winding down. We've got maybe another 10 mm -hmm. minutes. And I wanted to to pivot to something you mentioned, I suppose, in pre-production, in the few minutes that we had prior to connecting on the on the pod itself, and mm -hmm. this is a uh, tabletop and tabletop mm -hmm. role playing. Are do you mind if we if we talk a little bit about that? I'll just I'll just I don't by, I don't um, Kevin yeah. I don't know that you have a long enough podcast for me to talk about <laughs> tabletop Dungeons and Dragons and gaming. We are we are now tapping into the ultimate like nerd passion of mine uh, at this point. So yes, I'm happy to chat a little bit about it. And it does sound like it's been a theme among some of your uh, some of your guests. So that's awesome. It, it it comes up over and over again in the theater. I was just a guest on another podcast. They're called the Obscuria Filmcast, and they do. It's a it's a baby podcast. They're just getting going, but it's on YouTube, and the concept is amazing. They find obscure film and they just talk about it with a guest for an hour. So they turned me on to this amazing film called A Dark Song, which is like the closest thing I've ever seen. It's like a joint Irish British production. It's the closest thing I've ever seen to like actual ceremonial magic represented on film and it's written like a play you could almost do it like a play it's mm. 
fascinating. It's online streaming for free. But one of those hosts too was just going off on these D&D tangents and everything. And I'm like, let me just, before I open the, the door to you, before I open the dungeon to, to, open the dungeon. to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have this theory. I don't think it's original at all, but that is the most widespread form of American theater right next to the musical tabletop role-playing Gary Gygax and those fellas, they invented a form of mm -hmm. theater that is now mm -hmm. global, but it's uniquely American. It happens over mm -hmm. or it, it began as a uniquely American thing and it happens uh, across the table and now over discord and zoom. So mm -hmm. yeah. Tell us about that a little bit. Sure. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I will, I'll keep this as brief as I can. I mean, like many, I, you know, as a, as a young nerd and grew, I grew up in the eighties uh, got connected to this satanic board game called Dungeons and Dragons, the Bane, of, you know, like, you remember the headline? I mean, there were headlines like this game, you know, so best, best possible advertising they could have ever done. Right. No, Especially yeah, in yeah. the 80s. I mean, come oh, on, early my 90s. Yeah. Come on. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson made millions off the fact that it was like, this game is a Satanist game. Don't buy it. And every teenager runs out to get it. Right. Like every they couldn't keep up with production over at TSR in Wisconsin. So um, so I got into it. I got out of it. I got back into it. Like the long, boring story there. But it uh, yes, like to your point. So coming back to COVID, like I started a, I started running a home game in 2015 uh, with some with actually some theater friends, um, some actors, some uh, designers, and and a couple of their friends, and we and then COVID hits and like first of all they're no longer working artists so now we can play every weekend <laughs> like every Friday right. or Saturday we can play whenever we want because we're all available nobody's doing anything so you know we're using discord and and uh and digital platforms to to kind of connect but it did become like as as uh Meg and I were moving out of being able to produce theater just due to children and due to the pandemic it became this outlet for improvisational storytelling and I, and I mean, ultimately, like that's that's like a it's a it's a foundational root of what theater is, right? How many devised companies are doing the exact same thing just without dice in a rule book in a rehearsal studio? They're making up stories together creatively and and coming together, uh, and and then sharing them with people. And now we have, you know, so the phenomena that is, you know, and, and I think in many ways for for many of us who grew up with it to have this literal renaissance happening at this moment between stranger things and, and the explosion of that, um, the, the group critical role, which have their own TV show on Amazon prime at this point cartoon. Uh, and, and that was a group of voice actors who came together for a birthday mm. party to play a game of D and D started streaming it on Twitch and blew up, right? Like just exploded and have single-handedly introduced people to a game that uh, that many of us have known about for a long time. But it is uh, at my table, anyways. We there's a, there's I mean there's a you can look up all kinds of stuff and see all kinds of different groups who play. Um, we focus a lot on role playing because we're we're theater kids, right? And so it, it really does feed a part of my soul uh, in a way that I don't. Uh, it, it's and for me as a director. It's like, 
I, and I, I, I run the game. I'm dungeon master. It's like, it's, it's like improvisational directing, I guess is a, the only way I could describe it. It's like nothing I've ever done before because here I am trying to, I'm getting feedback from these players who are making decisions. I've got a narrative that I've crafted that is a, as an outline of where things might go, but I'm, I'm pivoting and then I'm, and then I'm throwing out suggestions and they're giving back to me. And then I'm, uh, you know, I'm making decisions about how the game works inside of a, of a context. And yeah, so it's a, it's just a, it's just a very fun and fascinating kind of experiment and go on. I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this on any of the streaming podcasts, uh, you know, systems pause for a second, search Dungeons and Dragons and there's like 400 different podcasts out there, let alone if you're on YouTube uh, and you want to see live live play. So it it is it, it's it's something I love. Uh, there was a moment before the pandemic when I thought about like really writing a, a series of articles on like, is this actually just the next a next, not the a next theater? Right. Like when we went when because uh, I'll come back to, you know, uh, Kevin, you mentioned you're going to be doing a live podcast recording critical role books out major like they book out major theaters in Los Angeles and New York and Chicago and people they put 4000 5000 6000 paying people in a room to sit there and watch other people play a game amazing <laughs> like right our, so everything awesome. our parents taught us was a lie you play <laughs> you played too many video games now that industry is bigger than film and television Oh, this right. tabletop Satan, Satan, Satan. Well, yeah. hey, yeah, it could pay out. That's tremendous. That we want that for Art of Darkness as well. Our podcast, we do, we do some numbers, and we're excited to do do live. But yeah, when a podcast like that breaks out, that's just so much fun because it's this mm -hmm. community. A community forms around this online thing. I love that. And not and not totally. only is it like you know the improv and the character and the role playing and all of this but it's also that nostalgia, you know, and mm -hmm. then and then the joy and the beauty of bringing new people into this like amazing thing that you get to experience and watching them experience it for the first time is just so fun. Uh, I mean, yeah. and that's what theater is, you know, yeah. right? It's just exactly. I, it's great. I have a 14-year-old daughter who got into Stranger Things and I've tried to watch <laughs> little bits and bobs of it. I'm like, I'm like, honey, I can't watch this. This is like my, this is my childhood. I already lived <laughs> through this. I don't need this. I fought all those monsters. Yep. I, they nearly got the me. Yes. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And uh, she's got her Metallica master of puppets tea. We're going to see Metallica. <laughs> We're going to see Metallica in, in August. Pantera's opening one of the nights and I'm trying to explain Pantera to her. And I'm like, I'm really not a big Pantera fan, but Cemetery Gates is the greatest power ballad of all time. And yeah, listen, they're going to have a, you're, everybody's going to have, there is no metal band that people have more opinions about than Metallica. So yep. we're, we're already having Metallica discourse in our family. Is and I'm already talking. I'm like, like listening to these conversations and I'm like, Kevin, your daughter is already way cooler than I could ever <laughs> hope to be. And, and Damon, I'm just letting you know, it's coming your way. So uh, I know, I know. Trust me. I'm well, I'm well aware. The girls right now make art projects and they'll take their iPad and film themselves doing it, pretending to be on YouTube. And I'm just banging my head against the wall going, I don't, how, wow. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Tremendous. 
Well, this has been mm-hmm. another episode of Mouthing Off, a theater arts and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company. You can hear it online and on the radio, Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM in St. Paul. We will be recording my new play, The Animals, this weekend. It will not be released over the radio for obvious reasons to those who encounter this play, but it will be available on the website as a recording, just a rough reading, but a way to put it out there for people who can't be in St. Paul. We're motivated to make online content too. BadmouthTC.com. Damon, it has been an absolute joy, really. And uh, I hope that uh, people will go go out and check out Minnesota Playlist You've got a lot of writing there, and it seems like you're doing a real bang-up job for the community. Yeah, thank you so much, Damon. I mean, that was a great resource, like I said, for me, and I just thank you so much for taking the time. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you both, Kevin. Amanda, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to both of you. Um, Congratulations on on this podcast. Uh, You know, I, I will just end on this. This kind of thing is what we need. Get creative, get content, talk to people, generate community. Playlist will be here to support that. We're the platform that wants to elevate as many groups up as possible, as many individuals up as possible. So thank you for promoting and thank you for the work that you're doing. Really appreciate it.